We thank Pastor James for sharing his heart with us, and what a joy it is to have the Shin family back, and just, uh, we made it through three months, um, and we just wanted to, um, on behalf of Pastor Marcus and Elder Bob, I want to thank you for your support of uh, us. We've been uh, subbing in for the last three months, and uh, we've come here to the end. This is our last Sunday, and you uh, as a congregation have been uh, uh, more than gracious and more than supportive as uh, we've uh, moved through this time period together. And I just think it's such a testimony to our church that we've been able to give our senior pastor a three-month sabbatical and, that, and a testimony to James's character and humility that uh, he took the sabbatical and that he invested that time in spiritual growth. And, and we're just really looking forward to um, the fruit of the sabbatical, being born in our ministry in the years to come. And, and so uh, we just give praise to God for that time. Um, this morning, with the remaining time that we have, I don't want to do anything real fancy. I don't want to do anything real complex. But I did want to bring to you um, a simple encouragement from God's Word. And so if you, if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and I just wanted to share with you some encouraging words from the lips of our Lord, and the message this morning is uh, entitled, Trusting God in Tough Economic Times, Trusting God in Tough Economic Times, and it was just really on my heart, as uh, you know, our, our nation is now officially in a recession. I think uh, unemployment figures came out this last week saying that December uh, recorded the largest number of unemployment claims in 26 years. Uh, there was a report that came out this week, the UCLA Anderson report, which said that 2009 is going to, the forecast is for four quarters of negative economic growth and that this trend would most likely continue into 2010. Um, the report went on to say that California will most likely follow the national trends, and I don't know if these forecasts, how accurate they are, but I think we all have a general sense, unless you've been um, closing your ears and closing your eyes, I think we all have a general sense that we as a nation, that we as a, a state, and we as uh, maybe even as a church are headed for some difficult economic times. And I know that... If uh, you're like me and you're, just, you're watching the news and you're watching CNN and MSNBC and just reading the Wall Street Journal and listening to our politicians and um, that your heart may be uneasy, that you may be hearing all these things and be getting, becoming anxious, uh, questions may be going through your mind such as um, what's going to happen to my job, what's going to happen to my company, how am I going to pay the bills if my company doesn't do well? If, um, how am I going to feed my family? Maybe some of you have even parents who are nearing retirement age or, or in retirement age and you're uh, worried about them and they might need your help. And, and if you're like me, you just have a, a number of things on your heart as you're thinking through these things and as you're hearing all this news and as... Um, you listen to our national leaders and it doesn't seem like they're exactly unified or know exactly how to go about fixing the problem. And you may have a number of concerns on your heart as you head into the next year. And I just wanted to bring you a simple 
encouragement from the Word of God this morning, from Luke chapter 12. And I just wanted to encourage you that, with a simple message, that if you are a Christian this morning, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are a child of God. And what that means is that you have a Heavenly Father who is committed to care for you and to meet your needs. That's really just the simple message I want to bring to you this morning. If you are a child of God, your Heavenly Father has promised to meet your needs. And so as we head into this season, as we head into this downturn, we can turn our eyes away from the, all the negative news that we're hearing. We can turn our eyes from all of the uncertainty and we can, as children of God, look to our Heavenly Father. And we can know that He is sovereign over this economy. We can know that He is sovereign over um, interest rates and unemployment and inflation and the stock market. We can know that He's in control of these things, that He loves us, that He cares about us, and that He has promised to meet our needs. And so I just wanted to encourage us to trust the Lord in tough economic times. And as we go to Luke chapter 12, verse 22, I just set the context here that Jesus here is talking to people who are in the midst of tough economic times. Their whole life was basically lived in a subsistence economy. They basically scratched out an existence day to day. They worked a whole day's labor to get a day's wage. Um, these are people who have nothing in terms of financial security, nothing in terms of savings. Um, back in those days, if you wanted to go eat, you didn't go to pick up McDonald's drive through You had to go and harvest the wheat and harvest the grain and grind it and make your own flour and bake it and make your own bread. If you wanted clothing, you didn't go to Target and swipe a credit card. You made your own thread. You made your own fabric. You cut it up. You made your own clothing for your family. And so life for these people were, was difficult. Life for these people was uncertain. They were struggling just to survive on a daily basis. And for them, this whole idea of financial security, it would have been a very real struggle. They would have thought, am I going to eat today? Am I going to have a day's labor so that I can go and work and that I can have bread to feed my family? And what Jesus essentially says to them in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, is he says, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. What Jesus essentially says to them is just very simply, look, if you are a believer in me, you don't need to worry. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to fret about food and clothing and money and how am I going to make it because you have a Heavenly Father who has promised to take care of you. Now this isn't to say that we shouldn't work and we shouldn't be diligent and we shouldn't 
be shrewd about financial matters, what it is to say that ultimately speaking for the child of God, God is your provider. And he has promised to take care of you. In verse 22, Jesus says, do not be anxious. He repeats this four times during the course of the passage. Verse 25, he says, which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Verse 26, he says, why are you anxious about other matters? Verse 29, he says, do not keep worrying. Verse 32, he says, do not be afraid. And so to these people living in this very tough economic climate, Jesus says, you don't need to worry. You do not need to be afraid. Your Heavenly Father will take care of you. And I think that would be the simple message to Cornerstone Bible Church as we head into 2009, as we hear a lot of negative news about our finances and about the economy, what Jesus would say to us, is if you have believed in Christ, your Father will take care of you. So you don't need to be anxious. Psalm 37, verse 25 says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. The flip side of this truth is, so we get an accurate understanding of Christ's promise. If you are not a believer in Christ, God does not make any promises as to financial needs or financial provision. So we understand if unbelievers are anxious. We understand if unbelievers are worried because they don't have a heavenly father. They don't have a father who has said, I'm going to take care of you. And so as they head into this economic downturn, we understand that they're worried and they're afraid. This is a very... Scary time to live if you don't have a father who's promised to take care of you. So I think sometimes my own kids and, you know, my kids, they have a father, an earthly father, who cares very much about providing for them. And I confess to you freely, I myself worry about how I'm going to provide for my children but I don't, for some reason, I don't see them worrying too much. I mean, they don't wake up and they're like, you know, I wonder if the Cheerios are going to show up today. I wonder if PB&J is going to be there for lunch. They don't wake up going like, I wonder if this roof is going to... They don't worry about mortgages. They don't worry about interest rates. They just go, well, Daddy's here and he always gets the groceries and life is good. And Now, I worry because I have that burden. But the point is that if you're a child and you have a father who is committed to meet your needs, you don't need to worry. And that's what Jesus is pointing us to in this passage. Now in this passage, really simply, Jesus gives two graphic illustrations of God's fatherly care. Two graphic illustrations of God's fatherly care so that our hearts would be at peace in a tough Economy. First, he's gonna, he says to us, look at the birds of the air. And second, he says, look at the flowers of the field. First, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Verse 22, he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. 
For life is more than food, and the body than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and they have no storeroom nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters? In the previous context, Jesus just told a story about a rich man who trusted in his riches. He didn't know that he was going to die that very night. And Jesus was warning us against greed. And here he says, verse 22, For this reason, because financial anxiety can easily lead to greed, I don't want you to be worried. Do not be anxious for your life, verse 22, as to what you shall eat, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. And then verse 23, he says, For life is more than food and the body than clothing. The argument here is, is from the greater to the lesser. Jesus is saying to us, Aren't there greater needs in your life that God has already met? Aren't there greater things that you absolutely needed for life that God has already provided for you in salvation? I think the idea here is, didn't you need forgiveness of sins and God gave to you that in Christ? Didn't you need the answer for death and God gave to you that in Christ? Didn't you need meaning and purpose in life? And didn't God give to you all that in Christ? And if God will take care of the greater, will He not take care of the lesser? If God has been so faithful to you to give you salvation and justification and forgiveness and meaning and purpose and joy in life, do you really think that God's going to say, well, I'll give you all that, but... You know what? When it comes to food and shelter, child of God, you're on your own. Or do you think that God will say, you know, I'm sovereign over your election. I'm sovereign over your predestination. I'm sovereign over eternal life. I'm sovereign over all of these things in your life. But when it comes to bread, sorry, you've got to deal with that on your own. Christ's point here is, Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing, and God has taken care of the greater issues, and He will certainly take care of us. And so, verse 24, He says, Consider the ravens. Look at the birds. It's possible that as Jesus spoke these words, there were actually birds that were flying nearby. And He says to His disciples, Go look at the birds. You know, some of us were looking so much at the news and some, we're looking so much at the employment figures and we're looking so much at the stock market and the interest rates. We're looking so much at our bank accounts and there's something, we need to do that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But for a moment, what Jesus would say to us this morning is just get away from all that for a minute, take a walk, go out in nature and go look at some birds and just think about their life. Do they sow or reap? Verse 24. Do they go to work? Do you see birds worrying about employment? Worrying about where their next meal will come from? They have no storeroom nor barn. Birds don't have savings. And yet, God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than 
the birds. The point here is very simple. God is the provider for the birds. God is our provider as well. We are more important to God than birds. And if so, God feeds the birds, how much more will he feed us? Jesus is simply pointing us to this basic reality that God will take care of us. Verse 25, he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? What he's saying here is that, you know what? Worry is ultimately unproductive. You don't gain a single thing by worrying about your life. There are a number of things in our lives that are productive. There are a number of things that we should be doing during this economic season. For example, as a church, we should be praying for one another. We should be wise about financial planning. We should be um, looking at the economic job market. And we should be shrewd about investments. And we should be getting wise financial counsel. We should be banding together as a church to help others in need. There are many productive things that we should be engaging in during times of economic stress. But what Jesus is simply pointing out here, that among all the things that you can be doing when you're placed under financial pressure, worrying is absolutely unproductive. Worrying will not get you a job. Worry will not improve your bank account. Worrying will not improve the economy. All the worry in the world is not going to improve our outlook one bit. So he says, verse 25, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? A cubit was about 18 inches. simply says here, Metaphorically, you can worry all you want and you're not going to live one minute longer than God has sovereignly determined for you to live. And in that time period where God has sovereignly determined for you to live, He will provide for you to keep you alive. If then, verse 25, you cannot do even a very little thing, why are you anxious about other matters. To those disciples who are worrying, who are anxious about the future, Jesus would simply say, you know what? Let's just simplify things extremely. Go look at the birds. I know this sounds simplistic, almost a little humorous. You mean, among all this stuff, everything going on and everyone analyzing everything and the economy and all this stuff, you just want me to look at some birds? That's the application? This is the literal reading of Jesus' words. Consider the ravens. And I know you might feel a little silly about this, but I have actually, when I go to Chinese restaurants, I actually go to those fish bowls and I'll actually sometimes become philosophical and look at those fish and go, what is it like? to be a fish and just swim around all day and what is it like? And I'll kind of stand there for a while and me and I'll be like, you know, yeah, it's time to order and come on, let's... But what Jesus is saying here is 
if you look at the birds, you will find an illustration of God's fatherly care. If he cares so much about birds, birds don't have souls. Birds don't have eternal life. Birds don't read the Bible. Birds don't worship. Jesus didn't come to die for any birds, and yet God feeds them. How much more will he feed you? There's a second graphic illustration of God's fatherly care in verse 27. After he says, go look at the birds of the air, he says, go look at the lilies in the field. Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, O men? Of little faith. Again, it's possible that Jesus was actually standing beside a, gr- a grassy field with many flowers, and he pointed this out as a graphic illustration to the disciples, and he's saying to them, Consider the flowers, consider the lilies of the field. Have you ever stopped your hectic, busy life to just think about? How the flowers live? That's his point here. Do flowers spin? Do flowers toil? Do you see lilies reading fashion magazines and worrying about whether their latest dress is going to be trendy or whether the latest department store is going to have a sale with an outfit that fits their what they want? Do lilies go to all this trouble to clothe themselves? And a simple point is, God clothes the lilies of the field. Consider, think about how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. The simple point here is that even the greatest most beautifully dressed person in the world today is not as finely dressed as the flowers of the field. You can get all the fashion catalogs, you can go to all the department stores, you can get the trendiest dresses and the trendiest suits and you will not look as good as a flower. Jesus says, Think about the flowers. Verse 28, If God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You know, flowers don't have souls. They're just here today, they're gone tomorrow, and yet God clothes them. How much more will he clothe you? Once again, what Jesus would say is that some of you are you're looking so much at your bank accounts. You're looking so much at the news reports. You're listening so much to the, what the economists have to say. And just for a moment, what I want you to do is get away from all that. I want you to go look at some birds, and I want you to go look at some flowers. And I want you to meditate on God's fatherly care. 
Will he really feed birds more faithfully than he will feed you as his child? Will he really clothe flowers more faithfully than he will clothe you if you are his child? If God so takes care of birds and of flowers, how much more will he take care of you? And if you look at the end of verse 28, would you notice this little expression? He says, if God clothes the grass in this way, how much more will he clothe you? And then he uses this little expression that's fairly common in the gospel records. He calls them, O men of little faith. It's actually one word in the Greek language. Oligopistoi means little faiths. Jesus looks at them. And I believe that this, is, this term is both an affirmative term and a corrective term. In other words, when Jesus says to his disciples, you are those of little faith, on one hand, he's affirming the genuineness of their faith. And he's saying, you do have faith. In contrast to all these people who have left me and who have denied me, I affirm that you do have faith. But it's also corrective. And Jesus is saying, you have faith and it's real and it's genuine, and even if you just have a little, that's enough to you, for you to enter the kingdom. But that faith needs to grow. It needs to blossom. I mean, if you knew who was taking care of you, and your faith was mature, you wouldn't be anxious. You remember when Jesus was in the boat with the wind and the waves, and there were assaulting the boat and the disciples were afraid and they began to panic and Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, O men of little faith? In other words, if you knew who was in the boat with you, you wouldn't be afraid. If you knew that in the boat was the sovereign Lord of the universe and that he rules over the wind and the waves, and your faith was mature, you wouldn't be afraid. Because you would say, may the, wind wave, may the winds come and the waves rock my boat, but the Lord, the sovereign Lord of the universe is in this boat with me and I believe in him. And in a similar way, what Jesus would say to us is that if you're anxious and if you're worried and if you're afraid, because you don't know who's with you. The sovereign Lord of the universe is your Father. He has committed Himself to meet your needs. He will care for you more faithfully than He cares for the birds. He will clothe you more faithfully than He clothes the flowers of the field. And if you knew that, and if you believed that, you wouldn't be anxious. I believe that that term there, O ye of little faith, it's, it's a gentle rebuke. It's, and Jesus had a way of doing this, a way of rebuking us while he affirms us at the same time. You know, he would say to us, Cornerstone, you do have faith. It's real and it's genuine. But if you're worried, then that faith needs to grow. Verse 29, And do not seek what you shall eat and what you shall drink, and do not keep worrying. 
For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. And catch this, this is so precious, verse 30. Your Father knows. Your Father knows. Maybe some of you, you're, you know, you're thinking like, God is great and God is big and, you know, God is busy running the universe, right? He's, he's busy running the galaxies and the stars and he's busy running the world and the nations and he doesn't have time to think about my financial condition. I, mean, I know that he rules over everything, but I just don't think I'm important enough for God to pay attention to my job situation, to my company situation, to my investments, to my career path. I mean, I know God knows everything, but does he know my situation? And Jesus just reminds us here, your father knows. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what's going on in your life right now. And he will be faithful to meet your need. So Jesus says, verse 31, But seek for his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. The parallel count in Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom, which Jesus is here making us. He's making a promise. This is one of the promises in the Bible that God has pledged himself to be faithful toward. That if you are a child of God, and you put God's kingdom first, God will be faithful to provide your needs. He has pledged to do that, and he will be faithful to what he has pledged to do. J.C. Ryle has said of the promises of God that they are legion. The subject is almost inexhaustible. There is hardly a step in man's life from childhood to old age, hardly any position in which man can be placed for which the Bible has not held out encouragement to everyone who desires to do right in the sight of God, God is continually holding out inducements to man to listen to Him, to obey Him, to serve Him, if only man will attend and believe. You know, Christianity is not about behave better and do better and work up, muster enough faith and you know, get the anxiety out of your heart by your own willpower and make sure that you you're, have all your ducks in a row financially so that you never have a need. Christianity is about looking toward and trusting in and resting in the faithful promises of God that He has made to us. We take God's promises literally. We take them at His word. We trust and we rest. And we say, Lord, if you have said that you're going to take care of me, then that is exactly what you're going to do. And so I'm going to put you first. I'm going to seek first your kingdom and I'm going to watch you provide. You know, some of you know that when I first came to Cornerstone, I was in a time where my housing of my family was uncertain. I didn't know where I was going to live the next month. I didn't know 
uh, how I was going to house my family. Many of you know that we stayed with the Shin family for an extended period of time, and, and Marcus and Amy took us into their home for an extended period of time. And we didn't know how God was going to provide, and we, didn't, we were very uncertain about the future. But what I learned from that time period is that sometimes the times of the greatest uncertainty are the times of the greatest blessing. I can't tell you how blessed I was by the hearts of people in this church, by James and Marcus and their families, and by, it wasn't just the pastors. Many people came to us and said to us, Dan, you know, you can stay at our home. Our home is open to you. We're more than happy if you stay with us. I was like, you know, did you check? I have four kids. It's like, not, I mean, you sure? This is a family. It's not just inviting me. It's family of six. And we eat too. And so, and they're like, no, we're more than happy to stay at my home. One brother actually told me, I'll never forget this. He told me, Dan, you need to stay at my house because God has given to me a house. And one day, God is going to ask me, what did you do with the house I gave to you? And I'd like to be able to tell him, Lord, I used it to house people in need. So, Dan, please stay at my house. You are ministering to me in that way. I'll never forget that. We were so powerfully blessed. Even though it was the most uncertain of financial times, it was the greatest time of blessing. And what I learned from that is that the Lord, you know, in these times of uncertainty, He has a way of getting exactly what we need to us at the exact moment that we need it, and he does so in a way that we're blessed. And sometimes it's not through the normal conventional means, and sometimes it's not through the normal ways that we would consider financial security, but God has a way of feeding the birds and clothing the flowers and meeting the needs of his children if we will seek him first and put his priorities first in our lives. And so Jesus would say to us, children of God, here's a promise. You can tuck this away in your hearts, in your minds. You can rest in this. You can trust in this. No matter what the analyst would tell you, you can come back to this. No matter what may happen with your company or your job or your finances, you can come back to this and you can rest in this promise that if I put God first in my life, He will meet my needs because I am more important to Him than the birds and I am more important to Him than the flowers and yet He feeds and clothes both. And this is the power of living by the promise of God. Two illustrations. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. Here's the application. If you got those uh, two illustrations of God's fatherly care, you know that your father will take care of you. Here's the response, verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you trust in the promise of God, 
if you rest in the truth that He has pledged Himself to take care of you, what this does is it frees you to live a generous and sacrificial lifestyle. Verse 33, sell your possessions. Give to charity. You know, for some of us, we're going to enter into 2009 and, and the nation is going to be in a recession, but possibly God has graced you to be in a certain skill set or in a certain vocation where your vocation will not be affected by this downturn. And God is going to bless you with financial strength in the midst of many who are in financial weakness. And what I'm saying to you this morning, just encouraging you that if God has blessed you in that way, then He has put you there that you might be a means of blessing to others who are in need. Even as a church, in 2009, there may be those of us who will enter into financial strength and those of us who will enter into financial weakness. God is blessing the strong, that the strong might minister to the weak. And God is placing those in positions of weakness so that like me, when I didn't know when I'm, where I'm going to live or I'm not going to know how I provide for my family, that the weak might experience that love and that grace and that blessing of the ministry of others. So both are to be blessed, the strong and the weak. What this text is teaching us is that if your heart is free from anxiety, if you're not just trying to pile up money and trusting your riches, you're going to be able to give to others. And in giving to others, don't miss this, verse 33, you will make yourselves purses which do not wear out and unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. We learned this in the LTF study, financial studies, that when you give generously and steward your money for the benefit of others in this life, you are laying up treasure. You are amassing treasure for yourself in heaven. There will be proportional rewards in heaven in relation to proportional degrees of faithfulness here on earth. And Jesus says, by giving to others, you will make yourselves purses in heaven and lay up treasure in heaven. So there's really two choices before us. We can either be anxious and focus on the material things and fret and worry and engage all of this energy in unproductive labor, and it's not going to improve our situation one bit, and it's not going to add a single cubit to our lifestyle or to our lifespan. Or we can look to our Heavenly Father. We can know that He will provide for us, and He will care for us. We can look to the birds of the air. We can look to the flowers of the field. And we can rest in knowing that He will meet our needs. It's a word of final application as we close. I turn one page back or one chapter back to Luke chapter 11. If you understand that God is your Heavenly Father... If you understand that God is sovereign over recessions, over depressions, over famines, over unemployment, and over inflation, 
And if you understand that God has promised to take care of you just as he feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field, this is how you will pray. Just a final word of encouragement as we go from here. Luke 11, verse 3. You will pray, give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. You will say to the Lord, Lord, would you just give me what I need for today? I'm not asking for tomorrow. I'm not asking for next week. I'm not asking for next year. I'm not asking for 20 years from now. I'm just asking today, would you give me what I need for today? You'll live life one day at a time because that's how the Lord wants us to live. Jesus taught us in Matthew 6.34, Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. You'll pray to the Lord, Give me this day what I need for today. Reflect on this often, how the nation of Israel walked through the wilderness for 40 years. God gave them manna one day at a time. He didn't give them 30 years of manna for them to store up and to steward because he wanted them to trust him for their daily needs one day at a time. And that's what this prayer says. And you will pray, give me this day my bread. Note that this prayer doesn't say, give me this day my daily filet mignon. Give me this day my daily sushi and lobster. Give me this day my bread. In other words, give me my needs, not my greeds. Just give me what I need, Lord, and I will be content. First Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. And so we say, heading into 2009, we don't know whether the economy will go up or down. We don't know if unemployment will go up and down. We don't know if We don't know the future. What we do know is that God is our Father. What we do know is that He has promised to take care of us. And we do know that if we trust in Him, we can be at peace and we could be at rest because the Sovereign Lord has pledged Himself to care for our lives. Would you bow with me in prayer and let's give the Lord thanks. Our Father, we thank You so much for Your promise and Your provision. Father, thank You for this precious truth that though the wind and the waves may rock our lives, that the sovereign Lord of the universe is with us. We thank you for this rock-solid promise that you will take care of us. We pray that as a church, you would help those of us in strength to minister to those in need, that you would help those in need to be humble enough to be blessed by those who are strong. 
Father, we pray that you would take this word, plant it in our hearts, that our hearts may be at rest. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.